Hello and welcome to Ancient Aliens is Bullshit, discussing episode 2 of season 15, The Relics of Roswell. I'm Chrissy DeClerc Zalagi, historian and adjunct professor. Before we get into the episode, I'd like to thank you listeners. I know that in the past I've been inconsistent with getting these shows up, but since my teaching load is reduced, I have more time to bring you Ancient Aliens debunking and other History with the Zalagi's content. Of course, since I'm teaching less, that means I need your support all the more. So if you enjoy hearing me talk about history, please go over to our Patreon page and support this work for as little as $2 a month. The link is in the show notes. This episode focuses on some of the very small fragments of metal supposedly recovered from the Roswell crash site. Since Roswell is one of the best-known stories of an alien encounter, it can be revisited time and again with new evidence, while spending half of the show rehashing the story itself. If this were a weekly drama, the producers would call it a bottle show, because so much of the episode relies on already existing materials. If you're unfamiliar with the Roswell crash, here's the short, short version. On 7th July, 1947, rancher Mac Brazel recovers material on his lands from a crash of he-knows-not-what and takes it to the Roswell Army Airfield. A team is dispatched to investigate and recover wreckage, including a man who will become central to the Roswell story, Major Jesse Marcel. Someone at the airfield issued a press release which resulted in that famous front page of the Roswell Daily Record. According to his son, Marcel thought the material to be like nothing he'd seen before, and so he took some of it home to show his family. His story of laying the pieces out on the family's kitchen floor, and his son's memory of how the metal was able to reshape itself even when crushed into a ball, has been an important part of the evidence presented in favor of this event being a UFO crash. Roswell advocates will tell you that while Marcel was showing his family this strange metal, a secret alien autopsy was going on in a back room at the airfield. The next day, a retraction to the flying saucer claim is printed with an explanation that the crashed vehicle is actually a weather balloon. Marcel is pictured with materials that are pretty obviously balsa wood and foil. And this is essentially where the story stands until the late 1970s, when people began taking an interest again. So back to our episode. We begin as a witness to a visit by Giorgio Zuccolos and Linda Moulton Howe to a heavily secured storage facility, complete with staff in black suits who have to match their key to Ms. Howe's in order to open the safe deposit box. She and Zuccolos put on gloves, then she pulls a small bag from the box, opens it, and very ceremoniously unfolds a piece of cloth to reveal a little bag containing two small fragments of metal. One is jagged and looks like it formed from layers of different materials, the other is smooth and looks like a solidified droplet of a silver-colored metal. She explains that the samples came via anonymous packages sent to Art Bell, the late host of Coast to Coast Radio who then entrusted them to Ms. Howe in 1996. The sender claimed that the materials came from his grandfather, who was involved in the Roswell cleanup. Howe explains the composition of these pieces, according to what she learned from analysis done in 1996. The first is comprised of many layers of bismuth, magnesium, and zinc, each only a few microns thick. This, according to the voiceover, is a combination that baffles exotic metal experts. This statement appears to be true, at least as far as my research indicates. The droplet is nearly pure aluminum. She says 99.5%, to which Zuccolos says that it is impossible to refine it to that purity. This is not true. She says she also sent some pieces to the U.S. Army for analysis, in hopes that this would encourage them to release the truth about the crash. They did not. All of this leads to a trip to the New Mexico desert for the ancient alien theorists, led by a local geologist who is studying the area. 
They meet with Professor Frank Himmler to explore the skip site where the craft from 1947 supposedly bounced before coming back to Earth a few hundred feet away. Supposedly, this site was not as well cleaned up as the main site. Professor Kimbler brings a briefcase with some of the metal fragments he has found, which he analyzed and, quote, found to be highly unique. His materials have banding that is very similar to the pieces owned by Ms. Howe. He says the fragments he has collected were likely missed by the government because they are so small. The three of them head to the area of the skip site with a metal detector, focusing on the gouge, where the craft supposedly scraped against the earth. The value of this particular site is explained in relation to a 2002 archaeological dig conducted by students and faculty from the University of New Mexico. They supposedly found important materials, but all of the samples are restricted by the Bureau of Land Management. Once at the location, the viewer gets an explanation of how to use a metal detector as the three of them walk over the site. Zuccolos finds a small piece of wire, and Howe finds another one as well, which they keep for testing. The viewer is then given further evidence of the reality of the Roswell cover-up in the form of a deathbed confession from Sergeant Melvin E. Brown. He claims that while stationed at Roswell Army Airfield, he was ordered to stand guard over some canvas-covered trucks. And when he had the opportunity, he snuck a peek and saw two alien bodies. And that's it. We aren't told any more, except to say that deathbed confessions are a very important piece of evidence for the Roswell case, and that Sergeant Brown is an inherently trustworthy source. Back to Zuccolos, Howe, and Kimbler, who take their samples to the Theta Plate Lab in Albuquerque, New Mexico. The lab breaks down the composition of the pieces, finding iron and copper, but also selenium, zirconium, and molybdenum. They act surprised to see these last three, saying that they are unusual to see them with iron and copper. But selenium is commonly used in modern, human-produced electronics, and so that is not evidence of aliens. Kimbler also claims that his fragments have explosive cratering, indicating that they were involved in an explosion or crash. That still doesn't prove aliens, as it could be from any number of other things, such as an automobile accident. The oddity of the selenium alloy is reinforced by a discussion of a find of wires and fragments of metal in the Ural Mountains in 1991. They are said to be of the same material composition as the pieces held by Ms. Howe. The voiceover asks if this is the Russian Roswell, as a means of connecting the two entirely disconnected finds. As a supporting point, the show then discusses local legends and claims of UFO sightings in the Urals. David Childress claims that these pieces could be as old as 50,000 years, bringing us back to the ancient part of ancient aliens. This then leads to a claim that there are many crash sites around the world, and more pieces being collected and kept secret by local governments. The show ends with a call from Zuccolos and Howe to Aaron Velasquez, who has done metallurgical analysis of the samples. He describes the composition of the fragments as unusual and says the pieces have carbonization, which is evidence of having been in an explosion. Nothing he says requires alien involvement, just humans who are in the desert crashing vehicles or blowing things up. Overall, this whole episode rests on the idea that there actually was an alien craft that crashed near Roswell, New Mexico in 1947, which was then subsequently covered up by the United States government. If that did happen, then any of this is possible, but it's far more likely that what crashed in the desert was not a UFO, nor was it a weather balloon. It was likely a classified piece of equipment being tested by the U.S. military or a Soviet surveillance device. Either way, the U.S. government would not have wanted people to know about it at the time, and the UFO story isn't a bad distraction from the reality. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to subscribe and never miss an episode of Ancient Aliens is Bullshit. The RSS link is in the show notes. Just add it to your favorite podcast application. 
You can read the posts and see images of what I'm referencing by going to patreon.com slash history with the Zalagis. That's S-Z-I-L-A-G-Y-I-S. Also linked in the show notes. And while you're there, if you're so inclined, please become a patron of my work. For $5 a month, you'll get access to my patrons-only content, which includes opinions and debunking of the back catalog of ancient aliens, as well as commentary on other elements of history and pop culture. You can follow me on Twitter at I underscore historian, and on Facebook by liking the page History with the Zalogies. And last but not least, you can find me talking Star Trek on the Trek FM podcast network, where I am one of the hosts of The Line, our show devoted to Star Trek Picard. Thanks for listening!